Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Dude Spellings, we are connected, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Why are we on the show together? Because of our awesome email exchanges and you are all over it, man. You're like a, you're like a thirst for knowledge guy down there in Austin, Texas, uh, on this amazing quest. And we've talked so much in person too, visiting at our speed golf occasions and down there at Paleo FX. So I thought you'd be a really interesting guest. I know we have a few hot button items to talk about that we've, uh, teed up from the emails, but we're just gonna, we're just gonna see where this thing, this thing heads. That sounds great to me, man. I'm excited to, talk to you and let everyone know, uh, that, you know, where, where primal can take you. Right. Where primal can take you because our starting point was, uh, pretty dramatic. You were not quite as healthy as you are today. So why don't you take me back to that, that time? My memories uh, of all the details is a little foggy, but I think you had some more weight on you and you weren't quite as fit as you were in high school when you were, uh, winning state titles in the mile. That's, that's, that's totally right. So, uh, really the evolution of my health journey kind of goes even back a little bit further than, than when we met, uh, about five or six years ago, I threw my back out and, uh, that actually happened while I was sitting on the floor of the gym stretching and I was totally debilitated, laying on the floor, couldn't move. My buddies came over to try to help me up, and I, I told them to go away. Back was totally messed up, couldn't move. And I drove home from the gym that day going, you know what? I am not going to be that guy that can't do anything because he's got a bad back. And I, didn't, I had no idea what I was doing back then. I just knew that what I was currently doing wasn't working. So I, that's kind of what opened my eyes to start looking at new approaches. And about that same time is when I met Scott Dolly, our mutual friend and speed golf advocate. And he uh, invited me out to play speed golf. And, you know, we went out and did a round and I was probably 40 pounds overweight at the time. And we went out and did a, a, a round of speed golf. He did it in like 42 minutes and I did it in like an hour and 17 minutes. And I could actually, the 15th hole swung by the, the clubhouse. And when I was on the 15th hole, I saw that he was already sitting on the porch of the, of the clubhouse waiting for me. And so when I got in, he was all excited. He's like, wow, you did so great. And I, and I was like, man, what, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, half an hour after you, what are you talking about? And he just encouraged me and, and, and tried to get me motivated to get into shape and lose some weight so that I could start competing in speed golf, which I did. Well, at that time, I was doing it the old-fashioned way. I had downloaded um, my fitness pal, and I was very carefully tracking calories in, calories out, very dutifully entering every bite that went, went into my mouth and every step of exercise that I did very carefully monitoring 
how much calorie deficit I was getting and how it seemed to work out that, wow, all these people are right. When I uh, reach about 3,600 calories in in deficit, I, I lose a pound of fat. Wow, this is amazing. And Right, right before the time that I met you, I started having doubts about what I was doing because I was training for a double crossing of the Grand Canyon. And so I was still doing my fitness pal and everything. And, and uh, I, I decided to do a 52 mile uh, training hike slash run to get ready for the Grand Canyon. And so, of course, uh my fitness pal said I burned something like, you know, 6,000 calories doing this. And I hadn't eaten very much that day. And so by my calculations, I should have lost, you know, like almost two pounds just with this one bout of exercise. And I didn't. And I thought, well, maybe it'll show in a couple of days. And it didn't. And I kind of stalled out, but I kept training and then shortly after that is is when we met and you and I, I guess I told you kind of what my training was like and you were like oh no man you're you're like you're training all wrong and you're eating wrong and I was like what and I think that's when we we hopped on a podcast with Scott on the pace of change to discuss training for speed golf and we kind of got into detail about how both of us were training and you told us hey you know you could uh, get a lot more bang for your buck out of your training, uh, get a lot better performance by training less hard and cleaning up your diet. And that really interests me. And I think right about that time, primal endurance was still kind of fresh off the, off the press. And so through your encouragement, I went and I, I think that night I actually bought Primal Endurance on Amazon and Prime had it shipped a couple days later and I opened it up and if I'm not mistaken, I think it's, you know, after the forward and the prologue and all that stuff, the actual first chapter, I think the first paragraph says something like, are you that guy that lines up at the starting line of the 10K or the marathon and knows that you have an extra 20 pounds to lose? And I mean, that hit me right between the eyes. I was like, yep. That is me. And ever since I read that part of the book, I just devoured the whole book and and implemented all the the strategies and, and tactics. And as you know, have uh, ventured on uh, from there to even what I would say is more exotic things. Interesting, right? As you kind of cover the cover the basics, and get things turned around, get that back fixed, and get those chronic patterns uh, adjusted, then you have access a portal to uh, the fun stuff that we like to talk about. But I, I appreciate you starting the discussion here. It reminds me of uh, my recent conversation with Dr. Peter Atia, where he said that, you know, we can get 80% of the way to our longevity potential with what he called the low-hanging fruit. And 
until we address that stuff, uh, I'm mentioning this because I think a lot of people take that shortcut and jump right into, hey, man, are you wearing your uh, blue blocking glasses? And you, you see the uh, proponents of these uh, freaky advanced health practices plunging into the ice water, which we're, of course, going to talk about, dude. But, um, you know, before that, um, you know, how many, what's your slurpy count for the week or um, your ingestion of uh, refined high polyunsaturated vegetable oils and these big picture, you know, triage items that we have to address first. So it sounded like you were a motivated guy. You wanted to turn around uh, after that, after that back issue. That's so funny because um, the same thing happened to me. I was going to ask you how old you were when you threw your back out. Um, let's see, it's about six years ago. So like 41, 42. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm 41 or 42 and I was uh, eating some scrambled eggs on the counter in the kitchen and just bending over a little bit, right. To, to scoop down these eggs until we were, you know, getting in the car with my kids and hitting off on a, on an excursion. And I just dropped to the floor and uh, you know, anyone who's thrown their back out knows this, this pain, which I never knew before. I've just heard this term through my back out. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean anyway? I mean, I've strained muscles and strained my back, but I never got where those people were coming from until that day where I was on the ground and I couldn't get up. And my kids are, I know the age because they were young and they're like, quit goofing around, dad, because I'm the goofy dad. I goof with him all the time. I'm like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I mean, you can't even talk. It just, it takes the wind out of you. And I had that same awakening is like, I am not going to be this guy and I'm not going to go down this path to where um, this is a, you know, a, a, it's, you could call it a random occurrence. I mean, most people think these things are random occurrences, but of course it wasn't a random occurrence. It was an indication that um, I thought I was fit, but I wasn't, or whatever you were doing. What's your quote? You said you were you were doing something, but you weren't sure uh, exactly what you were doing. And boy, what a what a great wake up call that is! That that uh, that injury sounds like that was the turning point for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I agree with you that it's it's cool to start there just because like you're saying, you know, you and I are kind of pretty far down the rabbit hole now. And so if we just get together and start talking about our latest and greatest stuff, it kind of leaves out a big part of the picture. And, you know, if, if someone's new coming to Trent on their health journey, they're not going to be able to just hop right in at, yeah, let's put on some blue blockers and turn off our Wi-Fi at night and voila, I'm going to lose the 40 pounds that dude lost. So you lost 40 pounds out of the gate with the fitness pal uh, obsessive tracking approach and then you stalled or what was that? What's the timeline? No, I lost, I, I, I lost about 25 with my fitness pal. And it's kind of funny. My wife actually turned me on to, to my fitness pal. She had had good success with it and lost about 20 pounds. And so then I, I, uh, jumped on it and it took her, I think like maybe four months to lose the 20 pounds. And it took me like six weeks and she was so upset. She's and she's a doctor. And so she was like, it's just so unfair. Men lose weight so much easier than, than women. Uh, but yeah, I'd lost about 25 pounds 
and just couldn't. And I, and I was going at it for like, you know, the typical mindset, right? So lose 25 pounds in six weeks doing this. And then I stall out, well, maybe I just need to try harder, double down or cut calories even more or exercise even more or all of the above to get over that hump to lose even more. And it was super interesting because I actually really noticed like before I was familiar with any of the, the primal philosophy, I actually noticed that cutting calories in in if you cut them too much, even though you have this massive calorie deficit showing up in my fitness pal, uh, you just it it kills your weight loss because your body thinks that you're starving and wants to hold on to to you know every calorie it can because it needs it. And you know I was in this kind of stuck place where I was like, okay, well I lost 25 pounds cutting calories and ramping up the exercise and now I'm trying to double down and, and nothing's working. But at the same time, I knew that my competitive running weight was still, I still had like 20 more pounds to go to, to get back to a weight where I knew I could compete and speak off and running. And it was super frustrating. And I, I really was, was at my wits end trying to figure out, you know, what, what I was doing wrong Cause I was doing what they were telling me, man, cut the calories. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, I guess, you know, they say when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I was definitely ready to hear a different message when you and I crossed paths. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe that was part of why I latched onto it so firmly. So your calorie cutting exercise was not plunging into the primal scene where you're you're especially trying to cut the refined carbs. There was more of just creating that deficit every day and tracking it so that you would, uh, you know, lose weight by mathematics. Yeah, that's a great distinction. Yeah. So at that time, you know, I had no idea about primal or paleo or what I should be eating. And I was kind of really following the same advice that I always had been with exercise, which is like, Hey, you know, you're, you're going to be doing all this exercise. You need all these carbs. So I was eating, uh, power bar type stuff and, um, you know, goos and gels right before I'd go out on a run. And, um, and I, and I hadn't refined my diet at all. I was still eating, uh, you know, a lot of bread, a lot of pasta, a lot of eating out. Um, and at the time, you know, I had no idea that these refined vegetable oils and seed oils were so bad for you. And I didn't know at the time either that now they estimate that, you know, people like, uh, Nina, Nina Teicholz and, um, Kate Shanahan point out that something like, 60% of the calories that you get from your meal in a sit down restaurant usually come from these, these seed oils. And we're like everybody else in America eating out, you know, three, four times a week. Yeah. It's hard to, uh, Dr. Kate said 40%, which is still a massive number. And you're wondering how it can get that high. It's because the oils have so many calories. So even if your uh, salmon is cooked in this stuff or your omelet, it's contributing uh, a significant portion of calories that's sort of invisible 
could be easily swapped out for cooking with butter if you just ask. And that's, you know, probably a, uh, a, a takeaway for the listener that's maybe more important than anything else is that you have to get this toxic foods out of your system. And they actually, um, not only are unhealthy and affect your cells at the DNA level right away when you ingest them, just like a poison does, um, they're also, uh, known to, cause a dysfunction in your fat metabolism. So you're eating these uh, artificial fats and your body has a hard time burning them. Um, and it's a little known, little known, uh, fact that this stuff is, uh, is, is bad in so many ways that, um, you, you can make a, a wonderful effort. Uh, but if you're, if you're still consuming these, these toxic oils, it's going to get in the way of success. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, it's, it's very interesting looking back on my journey because it's like everything builds on the thing that came before it. And one of the things that my fitness pal really did teach me was to look at food labels and read ingredients and uh, look at the macros. And without that piece, it would have been a lot harder once I um, found the primal endurance to, uh, throw out all the seed oils and stuff because I wasn't in that. I wouldn't have been in the habit of looking at labels and stuff like that. Interesting. Yeah. It seems like a, uh, recommended starting point to get your act together in life, start being more mindful about your eating habits, get that pen and paper or, you know, the handheld app now where you can, uh, immediately record what you eat. Uh, but I, I have a distaste for that in general and on a long-term approach to, um, be tracking that obsessively can lead to some disturbances, emotional disturbances with your eating. But if it's presented as a starting point where you can gather some data, especially relating to what a different level of carb intake really looks like in practical terms. So when we say primal blueprint carbohydrate curve, 150 grams a day is your safe limit for maintenance and 50 grams or below is keto. And we have no idea what that is. Um, that's something that we have to acquire into our knowledge base. And then we can go with the flow and be intuitive and do some eyeballing and realize that, um, this meal is going to contribute uh, around this much uh, macronutrient balance between fat, protein, and carbs, and then uh, live live in a more um, uh, intuitive manner where you're actually enjoying your meals without having to uh, sweat the details and possibly compromise your enjoyment of the meal. Oh, I, I totally agree. I, I would not want to live a lifestyle where I was constantly tracking everything all the time. Uh, and I, and I agree that, you know, that sort of behaviors is kind of ripe for some obsessive compulsive behavior, maybe, maybe even eating disorder. Um, but for me, it was definitely a real eye opener to do it for a few months when I started out, um, even starting out with, with primal, because like you were alluding to, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go through the two week test, the Maffetone two week test, and I'm going to cut down to 50 grams of carbs, man. I had no clue what that looked like for, for, for just right off the bat. 
But then in addition to that, until you start looking at these labels, you have no idea how many foods they add sugar to. It's, it's in everything. I remember we were on a road trip one time and my wife handed me this pack of almonds. She said, Hey, I got these almonds for you since that's on your diet. And it said right on the thing, dry roasted almonds. I took a a bite and spit them out because I tasted that it had some sugar in it. And I was driving. So I handed the package to my wife and said, look at the ingredients in here. There's sugar in this. She's like, no, this that's impossible. They're dry roasted. And I said, well, look at the ingredients. Sure enough, second ingredient, maltodextrin. Oh, boy, the list goes on and on. I mean, the fabulous uh, concoctions from Starbucks or uh, Jamba Juice when you're going and getting an innocent medium uh, smoothie and uh, half a uh, breakfast loaf, healthy whole grain breakfast loaf, and you've just hit... Uh, 200 grams of carbs, which is, you know, kicking you out of uh, primal guidelines for the entire day, just from a quick Jamba Juice after your spinning class in the morning. Yeah, it's no funny business. And the inclusion of that, uh, those refined carbohydrates into all the foods is for uh, the, the addictive nature of it so that you'll come back and have more food. It's uh, and, and same with inclusion of um, uh, wheat, gluten into an assortment of foods. The gliadin protein is known to have addictive properties. That's what uh, was presented in Dr. William Davis's best-selling book, Wheat Belly, that food manufacturers sprinkle this uh, gliadin protein onto an assortment of foods just because of the uh, appetite-stimulating properties and the uh, ability to sell more food because they're they're dosing you with these addictive properties. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Wheat Belly because... That's kind of the next step in my journey. After I read uh, Primal Endurance, I realized that there was a lot of new information coming out, and a lot of a lot of this stuff was was being ignored or maybe even um, suppressed by mainstream health and wellness and medicine. And so that kind of opened me up to to books like Wheat Belly. And I can't remember how soon after I read it, but I read Wheat Belly and I thought, oh, wow, you know, this is really eye opening. And I always thought that these all these people running around going, yeah, my kids need the gluten free this or that was like I just I I didn't understand any of it. I'm like, what? How sudden can the entire human population just instantly develop this gluten intolerance. And when people have been eating wheat for like 10,000 years, that doesn't make no sense to me. And about the same time, I decided to um, go ahead and and start Maffetone training in earnest and might as well go ahead and do the two-week test at that time. And boy, I noticed as soon as I did the two-week test and cut out all the refined grains and carbohydrates, all kinds of really cool stuff started happening. I, my, all my skin allergies went away. Uh, my nasal allergies got better. I went from taking one Zyrtec every single day year round to now never taking any allergy meds. But the biggest thing really was my skin, skin allergies. I had kind of, I'd always had sensitive skin, even as a kid, but as I'd gotten older, it'd gotten worse and worse and worse. And I was, 
at the point when I, when I read Wheat Belly, I was at the point where pretty much every summer I play a lot of golf. And so almost every summer I would get two or three or four bouts of poison ivy really badly. And of course, my wife's a doctor. She'd always just call in some steroids for me. And that's how I, I took care of it. But I quit eating wheat two and a half years ago. I haven't had poison ivy since. So the amateurs here speculating your the, the skin is um, a, a prime area for autoimmune conditions, inflammatory autoimmune conditions. And this is the association when you're eating a grain-based diet that you're uh, creating systemic inflammation or a, a long-term uh, undesirable type of inflammation in the body due to the difficulty in digesting, especially gluten, but the gluten-like agents that are contained in other grains. And same with the sugar is causing uh, this uh, inflammatory response in the body because it's very stressful to get that blood sugar spiked up and then release insulin over and over into this state of hyperinsulinemia that's chronically excessive insulin production. So you are in this state where uh, your immune response was suboptimal and it would kick in at the slightest disturbance and yeah you touch the poison ivy or whatever but like your body couldn't fight it off is the point to make here and so this kind of anecdote can get washed in uh, a lot of respected science uh, especially recently that that might have been associated with your uh, dietary change to get rid of the uh, autoimmune disturbing agents in your food, uh, namely the, the grains and the gluten. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like I said, my wife's a doctor and every time I mention this around her, she still thinks that it's just some coincidence that I haven't had poison ivy in two years. And maybe it's because she didn't have the poison ivy and she didn't understand how, just how progressively worse it had, it was getting, but I mean, it was getting to the point where if I got the poison ivy on my ankle, by the time I got home from the golf course, the rash would be all the way up to my thigh. And then if I didn't get steroids right away, the next day, it would be all the way up to my hip and my stomach and just keep spreading. It was, it was getting that bad. And the, that's like that song, dude. You know the old song. Oh my, it's up to my thigh. Oh <laughs> heck, it's up to my neck. It's like the snake song, you know. Oh something else. Oh gee, it's up to my knee. Oh my, it's up to my thigh. Yeah, um, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to relate. And of course, there's all these other variables. But I think the individual, uh, and we come up with these stories all the time, where people will swear that. Um, their brain fog and their depression lifted when they stopped eating sugar. And all you can do is, is take it and run with it. And, you know, it's, it's getting more and more validated. But, uh, I, I like to listen to the, um, the person relating the, the anecdote. And, um, boy, I mean, whatever. Now, now you can't get poison ivy because then, um, then the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the docs will go, yeah. So this guy thinks he, he, he thinks he got rid of his poison ivy by, by, by cutting out uh, sugar coated almonds. Come on. Well, well, what I tell people is, you know, when I relay my experience to people, a lot of, and a lot of times I'll see someone that I hadn't seen in like 10 years and they'll be like, Holy smokes, you look so great. And you're so fit. And you know, like, what have you been doing? And I'll start explaining stuff. And, and, 
either that or, or with a coaching client that I'm working with or anyone like that, what I usually say is, you know, this was my experience. Your, your mileage may vary, but, <laughs> but, you know, like you were saying earlier, um, you know, listen for something that sounds like it may be familiar or something that it might be that you can relate to. Not everything that I've done is going to be useful for everyone. But if your experience and your circumstances maybe are similar to mine and you're unhappy with where you're at now, it's worth taking a look. It's worth a try for sure. And a 21-day exclusion diet is probably the best and easiest simple first step. And for the you know competitors listening, um, I want to go back to your timeline because here you are having dropped 25 pounds and then you're picking up a book from a wise guy writing at the start. Like, are you one of those guys that's on the starting line? <laughs> no one you have. I think we drew the graphic even, uh, the elephant in the room. Uh, and there was a picture of a couple elephants in a room of runners. And the idea was that we don't really talk about it much because the endurance community is fitter than the average population and the prevalence of obesity in America is climbing and climbing. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, people who are out there burning a ton of calories are looking better. But the elephant in the room is that most endurance athletes, especially when they have competitive goals, you, you ask them a question, they'd all want to lose five pounds or 10 or 20. And, why shouldn't they, when they're training their butts off for 13 hours a week, it doesn't make sense that there's that there's a population carrying around excess body fat that are working harder than any other humans on the planet in terms of, you know, burning more calories every week. So I guess it sounds like you were that guy who were getting back into your endurance goals with speed golf, but you still had, uh, was it an extra 15 now because you eventually got to a 40 pound weight drop? Well, I, so it was extra 20. I, I, I ended up dropping 45 total. And, and so that's I, like I, a kid, dude, that's like dropping <laughs> one of your five-year-olds, you know, incredible. Yeah. And I mean, the, pick up, pick the, up your kid, walk him over to carry him over to the slide. And then imagine like having that off your body. It's mind blowing. Yeah. And what's even more mind blowing is, is, you know, just a few years before I started speed golfing, I was pretty much the same weight, maybe, you know, 10 pounds lighter. And I was running marathons and stuff doing, you know, carrying an extra 35, 45 pounds. I don't think, well, there is a prize for that if you're in the Clydesdale division, but uh, <laughs> it's probably much more enjoyable of an experience to race at the, at the proper weight. Uh, all things being equal, of course, we're not talking about uh, preparing for the Olympics and dedicating every waking moment to uh, your marathon performance. But uh, like like my quip when we when we talked on, I think we talked on a podcast or something, or maybe it was at Chicago just hanging when I said, you know, if you slow down and cut carbs and drop that weight, you get like this free, free, massive improvement because weight is such a huge uh, performance variable when you're talking about, uh, you know, long distance running. Um, that's where, that's where you opened up to the, um, first of all, the, the math heart rate. And then second of all, I guess, further restriction of carbs. And when you did that, did you track it or how did that go when you decided to go primal and do the two week test? Like, like you mentioned, uh, so I, it actually ended up being a lot like your, um, multi-month, um, ketosis bout. So 
what I ended up doing was I started the two-week test, and I, ha- I had every intention of reintroducing the foods, just like Maffetone talks about. Um, but what happened was after the two weeks, I felt so awesome. You know, I had all these skin allergies went away. I, I started feeling better. I had way more energy. My runs were feeling better. Like, just everything got better. And because of that, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to reintroduce any foods. I'm just going to keep eating like this. And I kept eating uh, only the foods that are allowed in the two-week test for about six months. And that's really when, and I was also doing um, a very uh, diligent um, seven to 10 hours a week of, of uh, Maffetone training. And that's when my Maffetone pace or my math pace went from 1330 uh, per mile down to 830 per mile. And, you know, starting at 1330 was a real shocker because a few months before the Chicago World Championships, when was that, 2015? 2016 and 2015, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think it was the second time. I think it was in 2016. Um, a few months before that, I had run a 5K in 1856, which is a oh. So you're running you're running a 13 minute mile mile at your aerobic heart rate, but you can bang out a uh, a fast 5K. That's an incredible disparity, man. Oh yeah. So so a 15, 1856 5K is a 608 mile pace. <laughs> So you were an anaerobic sugar burning beast. That's right. Uh, on the race course. Yeah, and and when I when I started reading about uh, doing the math training, I was like, oh well, I just ran a five k at a six oh eight pace. So yeah, maybe I'll have to slow down to nine minute pace or something. Boy, I was completely dumbfounded, just shocked out of my shoes that I had to run a 13.30 pace in order to stay below uh, my MAF heart rate. But I figured, you know what? Uh, I've already learned that I've been eating all wrong, that I've been training all wrong. I'm just going to stick with this and see how it goes. And I remember I joined the Maffetone Method Facebook group, and I remember posting on that group after, you know, having run a 1330 mile pace for my first MAF run and asking the question, this can't possibly be right. Like how can I get any benefit from running and walking a 1330 mile pace? Am I doing something wrong? And, you know, of course it came back with like, 200 comments. Nope, you're doing it right. You're just that out of shape. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting distinction because uh, I, I've talked to um, Maffetone about this uh, on the videos in the Primal Endurance Mastery course and also Kate Shanahan on the same subject is, you know, inside your body, you were not burning fat efficiently. So when you, you know, set your heart rate at the limit of 180 minus age, uh, ensuring that uh, most of your energy production would be from fatty acids, not from glucose, because the, uh, it, w- it was so, so, um, relatively easy. 
and you're not good at burning fat, then you got to go slower and slower because you just uh, don't have those energy systems, uh, those genetic um, processes optimized. And that's why you had to go so slow, even though you're extremely fit while you're plodding along, you're probably barely feeling any effort. But then as you uh, modify your diet and through diet means you get better and better at burning fat because you're not slamming yourself with quick energy carbs and eating those gels before you run every time, then you can start to uh, you know speed up a little bit and not hear that heart rate beat because now the um, the you know the ener- energy burning uh, enzymes are, are are fired up the the um, the the fat burning machine is fired up and you can proceed down the road because we know that your stride can handle it and you can put out 600 pounds of force with each stride because you're an 18 minute 5k guy it just was the the energy mechanisms in the body that needed some training through diet and of course through jogging and um, doing some lower intensity stuff but i think it's really important for the athlete to make that connection that your meal choices are part of your training and can actually contribute to uh, better performance when you go out there and perform an aerobic heart rate. Totally agree. And another interesting point here is, you know, uh, a lot of what I've learned is that where I was living most of my life uh, prior to to discovering Primal was in the sympathetic nervous system as opposed to the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's one reason why my immune system was so hyperactive and responsive to things like poison ivy. And, and I, I didn't mention, but I was, I'd, I'd also get skin contact dermatitis from just various stuff laying around the house chemicals shaking hand shaking hands with average people walking by not that bad but i definitely would just get these random skin contact dermatitis stuff and have n- no idea where i got it from just touching some random thing that happened to irritate my skin and it would require steroids to 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 um you know make better but the point is is that i was so sympathetic dominant that Every little thing set off my immune system. And another telltale sign that I was so sympathetic was that when I was trained, like when I was training for that fast 5K, my training was all anaerobic and it was all fast. And I would go out, I'd have like a two or three mile course around my house and I'd, you know, see if I could run it this day faster than I did yesterday. That was kind of how I was training. And as a result of that, I was sore all the time. And I needed like two or three massages a week just to keep running. And I had no idea that, you know, it was the way that I was training that was keeping me constantly sore, constant muscle tension. And, you know, I have all of these stress hormones floating around in my blood all the time that are not designed to be chronically floating in your system, but more designed to respond to an emergency event. And it was really breaking me down. And I have no doubt that that type of um, existence contributed to 
my bad back, some other injuries that I had, um, you know, just that feeling of not being a hundred percent kind of slightly dragging being sore and stiff all the time, which is where I was. Yes, Down Into the Well is where we are going with this show. It is in the books. Thanks for listening to Dude. We're going to pick it right up with a compelling part two where we shift the discussion into a big focus on the benefits and the rationale for focusing on aerobic-based training. So thanks for listening. Good stuff getting some momentum going from a real person doing his best out there to reflect and make changes and continuing to progress. Dude Spellings in Austin, Texas. Thank you for listening. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. A oh yeah, she so she loves those. Sort of, we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.